Lord, we sing it. We pray it. In the deepest parts of our hearts, we know it. We have nothing to fear. You said that you would never, ever forsake us. You would never, ever leave us. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I'll not be afraid. What can man do to me? We love you and praise you for that. Give you all the glory. Asking you to strengthen us with the power of the Holy Spirit so we can not only live that way, but show others that that's the way to live. All for the sake of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. All right. Man, that was good singing right there. All right, so uh, I've always loved a good challenge. And I was talking to a couple of you last week, and we were talking about faith and doubt and that kind of thing. And one of you actually said to me, well, I can tell you this much. There is no doubt about this. There is no way you could tell a worse joke than you told today. To which I replied, you want to make a bet? Superman, Snow White, and Pinocchio were walking through a a carnival, and they saw a sign that said, a beauty contest ahead. Snow White said, I'm entering that. She came out about a half hour later, and they said, did you win? She said, well, yeah, I won, no doubt about it. They walked a little farther, and they saw a sign that said, world's strongest man contest. Superman said, I'm going to enter that. He came out about a half hour later, and they said, did he win? He said, well, yeah, any doubt? They walked a little farther, and they saw another sign that said, world's greatest liar contest. Pinocchio said, I'm going to enter that. He came out about a half hour later crying. He said, who in the heck's Bill Clinton? <laughs> okay, I told you I could beat that, all right? So I've been reading uh, Faith and Doubt again this week. I kind of got that out, blew the dust off of it. John Ortberg. Now, we did this as a family about six, seven years ago. Remember Dave Ball taught in between services, good stuff. And I'm just thinking, if you've not read Faith and Doubt for a while, you got to get that book back out and read it. Uh, if you don't have a copy of it, I might have a few left. I'll be looking. If not, try to get a hold of that because we're in a season where faith and doubt is just, you know? And, and I think one of the things that's fueling doubt for a lot of people, for us today, is that we're living in the same world as a non-Christian. You know what I mean? I mean, we're seeing the same things they are every day. We're living in the same circumstances they are every day. I mean, I, I, most Christians are not going to tell you they've had visions or heard voices. Most Christians are not going to tell you they've seen a biblical miracle. I've never met one Christian yet who claims to have a DVD or a video on their phone that proves beyond a doubt that God exists. So in other words, we're all on the same faith plane as a non-Christian. We're all seeing the same pain they are, the same suffering. We're we're as disappointed in the lack of faith at the church as non-Christians are. We're as disappointed in the lack of growth in our own lives as a lot of Christians are. In fact, I think the biggest difference between a Christian and a non-Christian today is this that we are banking our eternal existence on the existence of a God that we can't touch, feel, or prove. And they are basing their eternal existence that that's not going to happen. And I'm telling you something, the ramifications of both of those views, big. What's at stake is big. Now, another thing going on right now we've been talking about every week is this is a perfect storm for the enemy. I mean, he's having a heyday. He's got people afraid. He's got them confused. He's got them proud. He's got them blind. And if you walk in uh, up to a person who's scared and confused and proud and blind, there's going to be a lot of doubt circling around him, I promise. And there's probably a lot of doubt circling in here today. So I want to relook, revisit the three main questions that cause so much doubt and get those things answered, put to bed, and we'll take communion, okay? Here's the first one. 
If believing in God is such a big deal to him, why doesn't he make himself a little more obvious? In other words, if God wants us all to believe in him, why didn't he part the clouds once in a while and write his name across the sky? Give us a little more proof that he's there. Uh, in the last century, probably the most popular um, atheist alive was Bertrand Russell. I've never, I don't know if you've read any of his stuff or not. But uh, when he turned 90, he had this strange encounter with a woman at a party. She came up to him. She said, Mr. Russell, you're undoubtedly the most famous atheist on the planet. But she said, I got to probably feel at this point, you're probably the oldest, oldest atheist on the planet too. And she said, you're going to die pretty soon, pal. I mean, that's what happens. What are you going to do when after you die, you find out God really does exist? What, what are you going to say to him if you look at God face to face after spending your whole life to find him? And I love what he said. He said, I'll point my finger at God and say, you, sir, gave insufficient evidence. Now, I don't want to sound sacrilegious, but I'm telling you truthfully, there's been times in my life where I understand that. Not now, but there's been times in my life where I would have liked to have seen a little more evidence. And the fact is, God seems to present himself to people in a way that allows them to dismiss him. And it appears like, even, even though we know this is not true, it appears like that doesn't matter to him. That he actually leaves room for that. But of course, we know that's not true. The truth is, people who don't want there to be a God will find a way not to believe in God. That way, they can live any way they want to. Another atheist philosopher named Norwood Russell Hansen, he said this. He said, I, I'm not a stubborn man. I, I'm open-minded. And he said, I would actually become a theist and a believer uh, under certain circumstances. Here's a circumstance. He writes, suppose next Tuesday, just after breakfast, all of us in this one world are knocked to our knees by a percussive and ear-shattering thunderclap. The sky's ablaze with this eerie silvery light, and just then, as all the people in this world look up, the heavens open, and the clouds part, revealing an unbelievable, radiant, eminent, Zeus-like figure. And he points down at me and explains for every man, woman, and child to hear, I've had quite enough of your clever matters of theology. I do exist. Shame on you, Norwood Hansen. He said, if that happened, I'd believe. Well, I guess he would. And we hear that and we think, well, you know, that would be a life-altering, eye-opening, shocking experience for sure. But listen, we all know people well enough. We know ourselves good enough. And we've all studied history carefully enough to know that even that wouldn't last. It never has. People always find a way to dismiss this shocking encounters with God. Eventually, he would dismiss it as some kind of dream or hallucination or a bad breakfast burrito or something, and he'd just go on about his life because we've seen that happen over and over again. Israel did it over and over and over again. They'd have this huge encounter with God. He'd shake a mountain. He'd part the Red Sea. He'd part the Jordan River. And then just a little bit while, they'd forget all about it. It's crazy. And we do the same thing. So the truth is, this question gets a whole lot deeper than just the issue that we can admit the existence of God, because just admitting that God exists is not going to do anything for the real problem, and the real problem is our heart. And just by admitting there is a God, it's not going to do anything for your heart. I'll give you an example of that. Let's say after church today, you decide to take your family, and you're going to go over to the mall by way of the bypass to get some red robin, yum. And you get on the bypass, and you're going 60 miles an hour because you're hungry. By the way, the speed limit on the bypass is 45. So you look in your rearview mirror and you see a cop. What do you do? You slow down. Let me ask you a question. Does that mean all of a sudden you've had a change of heart? 
And now all of a sudden you believe in the existence of the speed limit and you'd like to be a law-obeying citizen. No, it's just pain avoidance. You don't want a ticket. And if he does pull you over and give you a ticket, which has happened to most of us in here, you're probably going to have some real nasty thoughts about this policeman. Why didn't you get all the people that passed me? You know, why why in the world aren't you out looking for rapists and killers? I'm a tax-paying, honest citizen here. Would you forget where the donut shop was? You know what I mean? He's just trying to get his quota in. And if you're like some of the ladies in my family, you've probably even batted your eyes a few times and tried to get out of it. One way or another, it's still a heart problem. Whether you get a ticket or not, it's still a problem in here. James puts it like this in chapter 2, verse 19. You believe that there's one God? Good. Even the demons believe that. And they shudder, he says. Question, do the demons believe the same thing about God that Jesus does? That he's wonderful and loving and caring and will take care of him? Now see, it's a heart issue. It's not just a matter of believing that God exists. And as long as people try to deny that he, deny that he exists or try to run from him, they're just going to get more bitter and more angry and more confused and more upset and more scared of all the chaos going around because it's a darkness in the heart and we need Jesus Christ to light things up. That's one of the reasons why the Bible says in Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me when? When you seek me with all of your heart. It's a heart problem. Always has been, always will be. Well, how do you seek God with your whole heart? Well, you go after him above everything else. I mean, God matters to me more than status, money, power, success, family, church. He matters more to me than anything. I just want to know God. God says, if you pursue me like that, you're going to find me. Now, the good news is, we also know God comes after people who only half-heartedly seek Him. I know that from experience, personally. And we also know He even comes after people who aren't looking for Him at all. Any crack, any opening at all, He's the hound of heaven. But His promise is this, if you search me with all of your heart, I mean persistently, sincerely, and soberly, you're going to find me. And I'm praying everybody in here has done that. If you haven't, you owe it to yourself and to God to try it. If you do that, you'll find him, and doubt will go out the window. You'll be able to sing these songs and mean it. Second question that I think troubles us and causes us to doubt once in a while, and that is this. If Christianity is true, why aren't Christians a little better advertisements? Why were hypocrites? By the way, Ashley, do you know why the fungus was such a hypocrite? Because he didn't have mushroom to talk. See, I can tell a bad joke, all right? Just showing you. I know we're tempted sometimes with all the stuff going on and some of the things we're hearing people say to call people hypocrites, but we can't because none of us have mushroom to talk. We just don't. In fact, Sam Harris wrote a book called Letter to the Christian Nation, The End of Faith, and he argued in it that Christianity and religion, he says, actually pose the greatest threat to civilization and human survival ever. And people who've read that book and and believe it, they cite things like the Crusades and the Inquisitions and the Salem Witch Trials and, and that kind of thing. And they'll point out over the years the Bible has been used to defend slavery and the abuse of women and the rights of kings and that kind of thing. An atheist by the name of Steen Weinberg puts it like this, good people do good things and bad people do bad things. But to get good people to do bad things, that takes religion. And that would be funny if it wasn't so familiar. And I'm just saying, especially during these days, folks, we got to admit it. We got to understand that there have been bad things done in the name of God over the years. 
We can't explain away. We can't defend them. We can't run from them. We've got to humbly look at them. Now, a lot of them have been exaggerated, but a lot of them are true. And we've got to be honest about it. Romans chapter 2 says, judgment starts in the house of God. So we can't walk away from all this stuff. But we also got to ask the question, were all these bad things done in the name of religion based on clear teachings of Jesus Christ? And the answer is no. Jesus said, love your enemy as yourself. Jesus said, turn the other cheek. Jesus said, pray for those who persecute you. He prayed from the cross for heaven's sakes and said, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. And so what I'm trying to point out is the Crusades and the Inquisition and the outcome of all those things are not clear teachings from the Bible. They're contradictions of Jesus' teachings. And I also think we got to ask the question, would the human race be better off without Jesus, without churches and religion and all that? And the answer is, are you crazy? That's been tried too. Some of the biggest bloodbaths in, in human history happened last century in societies where they tried to eliminate Jesus Christ. Stalin killed 20 million people trying to get rid of Christ in, in the Soviet Union. Gorbachev says it's probably closer to 35 million. Mao Tse Tung in China, 70 million people trying to wipe out faith. Hitler killed 10 million, six of those Jews. And most recently, Cambodia, 20% of that country has been estimated to be wiped out by a leader who says he has no accountability to God at all. And the point is the evil on an international scale, terrorism or aggression or any of the stuff, that exists not because of faith and religion. It's because of the absence of faith and religion. It's the absence of Jesus Christ. And it's our job to get him out there. I mean, you think about it. You could do this experiment. Do away with church. Do away with worship. Do away with preaching. Do away with God. Do away with any hope of life after death. And do you think that would make everything right? And all of a sudden, there wouldn't be any racism anymore, and there wouldn't be any problems. And it's crazy, because it's in here. Most of you heard the story of me shooting uh, Willie Haynes out of the apple tree with my BB gun. I've told it a couple times, and uh, I won't retell the story again. It wasn't one of my brightest moments as a kid, and it wasn't the only kid I shot with the BB gun. But I'll just tell you this much. He had it coming. The big crybaby had it coming, okay? But I will say, when I had to stand before his parents and mine and explain why I shot him, this is what I said. I didn't mean to. That was my defense. I didn't mean, you know, I aimed, took careful aim. I held my breath squeezed the trigger real slow so I didn't jerk the gun. Great shot, but I didn't mean to. Question, how in the world does a 10-year-old boy learn to lie like that? How could I get so good at something like that at such an early age? Well, the answer is easy. It's depravity. It starts in the heart. I've seen the same kind of depravity in my children. I've seen it in my grandchildren. It's everywhere you look. Can you imagine a society where there's no religion? Where, where there's no light, man, we'd be a mess. That's also why I always answer this question. I've, I've heard it uh, probably a thousand times since I've been in ministry, and I always answer it the same way. Here's the question. Are Christians really hypocrites? And I always answer it this way. Yeah. Yeah, we are. I, I am. And I love you, but I think you are too. I don't want to be. I don't practice all the stuff I preach up here. Sometimes I'm so far away from it, it makes me sick to my stomach. Ethan Woods was asked one time by a woman. He'd been preaching for a long time. She said, how do you call yourself a Christian when you act the way you act sometimes? And I love his response. He said, well, imagine if I wasn't a Christian. Hmm? 
Because I tell you, somebody else who's fairly good at hypocrisy, and that's a non-Christian. Because it's part of who we are. Play acting, posing, hypocrisy, image management, spin. It's all the same thing. We're all hypocrites. And I want to remind us this morning that Jesus Christ did not promise that if we came to him and gave our lives to him, that we would have health, wealth, and prosperity, and no chaos and a good life. Here's what he promised. If you come to me and give your life to me, I'll start chipping away at that sin and selfishness in your life until one day you'll actually become good news to people who need good news, and you'll actually become a type of person who's not so much of a hypocrite. That's the promise he gave us. It's Philippians 1.6. He who started a good work in you will carry it into completion until he comes back. I'll tell you something else. Jesus' plan was not to put together a community of people who could win arguments and debates. That was never his plan. His plan was to put together a community of people that were so plugged into the presence of power of God that they did change from the inside out. That racism wasn't even part of their vocabulary. That they were all inclusive. They were very tolerant. They were very generous. They were very giving. That's always been his plan. It was his plan then, it's his plan now, and you and I are invited to be a part of it. And I'm telling you, the world needs us to be a part of it right now. Last question. If there really is an all-loving, all-powerful, all-good, competent, over God overseeing the entire universe, then why in the world is there so much evil, so much suffering, and so much pain? Good question. Why? I mean, why so many tsunamis? I just got a report before I came out here, 5.1 earthquake in South Carolina. Just heard that. Why, why an earthquake? Why, why do we have car accidents? Why are we having cancer? Why did Eric Gilpin just lose his, his stepmother just over the weekend? Why, why Alzheimer's? Why all this COVID stuff? Steve Weinberg again says this. He says, the God of the birds and the trees also happens to be the God of birth defects and cancers. Explain that, he says. Well, that's a little wordy. So let me read this right out of the book that I've been rereading. John Ortberg, he writes, A couple that I've known for a long, long time, really good people, he said, have a beautiful little daughter. She was the kind of child who was so beautiful that people would stop them on the street to comment on her beauty. They also have a pool in their backyard. And one summer day, it was so nice outside, the mom set up the playpen in the backyard so her daughter could enjoy the day too. The phone rang. Her daughter was in the playpen, so she went to answer the phone. Her daughter climbed up the wall of the playpen, and the hinge that holds that side up gave way. It gave way. didn't have to give way. God could have reached down from heaven and stopped it, but he didn't. And when the mom came outside, she saw the beautiful little body of her beloved daughter at the bottom of the pool. And it was the beginning of a pain that no words could ever describe. She would have given her life to change that day, but she couldn't, of course. And she's going to have to live with the pain, the frustration, and the guilt of that the rest of her life. And that, my friends, is the world we're living in. And if we're going to hold on to our faith during this time, we've got to talk about this kind of stuff. We've got to think about this kind of stuff. One man wrote, the death of a single infant calls into the question of the entire existence of God. Some of you know that pain. I was in the hospital just this week with a couple who know that pain. Why? Why does he allow little babies to die? Well, the short answer is, I don't know. If I knew, I'd tell you. I'd be more than happy to tell you. If I was Hindu, I would tell you it was just a product of bad karma. 
They were just paying for sins from a previous life. If I was a Buddhist, I would tell you it's all an illusion anyway. It's all about our desires. You get rid of the desire, you get rid of the illusion. But I'm thinking about that little baby, and neither one of those things make any sense to me. Here's what does make sense to me. The Bible says that God created us and gave us free will. And because we have free will, we make some pretty bad choices all the way back to the garden. And because of the bad choices, we got a world full of evil and people are bouncing into it all the time. But I also understand that God is a God who looks at earth from an eternal perspective and he understands that one day he's going to make everything right. He's going to redeem everything. You like a redemption story? The big one's coming. I also believe in the cross. And on the cross, Jesus Christ said in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And at that moment, you and I were introduced to a suffering Jesus Christ that we don't talk enough about and we don't understand at all. So I don't know the answers to that question, but I believe those things and I'm going to stand on those things till I get the answers. And I'm not going to doubt my Jesus. I got to get us down to the table. We got one of two choices. There's really only two choices. And I'm going to give you an example of both of them. And then you can come up and take communion and decide what you're going to do. The first one's a paraphrase of Bertrand Russell. You are all the product of causes that have no purpose or meaning at all. Your origin, your growth, your hopes, your fears, your loves, your beliefs are all the outcome of an accidental collection of atoms no fire, heroism, or intensity of thought or feeling can preserve your life from beyond the grave. All the devotion, all the inspiration, all the labor of all the ages are destined to the extension, extinction in the vast death of our solar system. The whole temple of human achievements, achievement must inevitably be buried in the breeze of a universe that ends in ruins. That's what you're headed for if you pick that. You were born one day, you're going to live a few years, and you're going to die, and that's the end of it. Yuck. Or you can pick this from Dallas Willard. You are simply a uniquely designed creation of a thoroughly good and unspeakably creative God. You were made in His image with the capacity to reason and choose and love that sets you above all other life forms. God's aim in human history is the creation of an all-inclusive community of loving persons with himself included as its primary sustainer and most glorious inhabitant. He is even now at work to bring this about. You have been invited at the great cost to God himself to be part of this radiant community. You, right there, right now. You'll not only survive death, but you yourself will be made to bear an eternal weight of glory that you can't even fathom. And it's coming soon. Make your choice. I'm going to tell you what I've been saying for years. You better make it quick. <laughs> I don't know about the suffering. I really don't. There's a lot of it going on. I think Cheryl actually had the best explanation. Cheryl went to get her hair cut. And uh, she, it's, her beautician did a good job. It took her about an hour. And she tried to witness to her about Jesus. But her beautician said, I just don't believe in God. And she said, why? Everything we talked about. Well, if there's a God, why didn't he show himself? If there's a God, why there's so much pain and suffering? If there's a God, how come you people that claim there's a God don't act differently? All those kind of questions. But Cheryl was dumbfounded. She didn't know what to say, so she didn't say anything. 
she got done, paid for her haircut, and went outside. And across the street was this otherwise very attractive woman who hadn't had a chance to fix her hair. And Cheryl said her hair was a mess. I mean, it looked like a rat's nest. And she said, I got the idea. I walked back in there and she said, I know you're getting ready for another cut. But she said, I got to tell you before I go, I don't believe in beauticians. She said, well, I... She said, no, based on argument, I don't believe in beauticians. She said, how can you say that? I'm standing right here in front of you. I just cut your hair. And she said, because if beauticians existed, there wouldn't be that. And she pointed to the gal across the street. She said, if you were real, there wouldn't be people walking around with their hair a mess like that. And her beautician said, well, honey, that's not a good argument because all she has to do is come. You want to come? The table's set. The broken body, the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, man, there's no doubt about it. Come and spend some time.